Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Um, So tonight I'm going to share briefly on uh, a a prophetic culture, but specifically a prophetic culture based on the revelation of the encouragement that is attached to the prophetic we are called to walk in. That we cannot actually divorce encouragement from prophetic and still call it prophetic. We can call it a few other things, but it's not prophetic if you're not actually encouraging someone. Does that make sense? So I'm going to share a bit about that. And I'm going to start with sharing about uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says this fascinating statement. He says to eagerly desire the gifts eagerly desire the gifts. And he goes on to say a few more things, but he's speaking about what he said two chapters before in chapter 12. He said, uh, he listed nine gifts of the Spirit. Now these aren't all the gifts of the Spirit, but these are nine gifts he listed at this point. And Paul says to eagerly desire the gifts, but then he goes on to say to, to especially desire the gift of prophecy. Now some of the gifts which Paul listed two chapters before included the gift of healing, Included the gift of miracles, gift of tongues, gift of interpretation of tongues. He listed a lot of gifts. But one thing like I've thought about is if I got the option to choose any which one gift, I'd probably choose healing. You know, like just personally. And like anyone else here, would they choose that? A few people. If you had the option, choose one gift. I, I would have chosen healing. But for some reason, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament pretty much and, uh, and just saw so much of God moving through his life, is such a pivotal part in the Christian faith. He said that we had to eagerly desire the gifts, but especially the gift of prophecy. And so if, if we do not have a high desire for the gift of prophecy, then we need to be asking ourselves the question, what did Paul know that we didn't? What did he see that we have not seen? Why did he encourage us to, to pursue the gift of prophecy above the other gifts. So there's one question which uh, haunts so many people, and it's one question that that so many people struggle with, and and, uh, it just really can either uh, stumble and cause their whole life to be restricted to one little corner of the world, or if they can get past this question, then they can truly step into who God's called them to be. And that one question is, am I enough? That one question is, am I enough? It's a question that every person has to find the answer to, one way or another. And if you don't find the answer as yes, then you're going to struggle. And it's a question which everyone faces, but I want you to know that the, the moment you're able to answer that question as yes is a moment that your life will change. The moment you're able to come to the place where you realize that you are enough, your life will change. It was the case for me. Second to salvation, the moment I realized I was enough was the moment that transformed my life. You may say yes. You may say, yeah, yeah, I'm enough. I'm enough. But my question is, can you say that you're enough when you're standing beside someone who has more of what you value? Can you say that you're enough and can you believe, can you feel like you're enough when you stand beside someone who has more of what you value? If you value healing, if you value people being healed and you stand beside someone who sees people get healed regularly and you never do, well, can you feel like you're enough? You know you believe something when you feel it despite 
contrary circumstances surrounding you. When you believe the truth despite the circumstances not saying that, that's when you know you believe something. Can you stand beside someone who has more than what, or more of what you value and do you feel like you're enough beside them? Or do you feel less? Do you feel less qualified? And that is the journey of discovering whether, whether you are enough. If, you're, if you can stand beside someone who's taller than you and you can actually feel like you're enough. If you stand beside someone who you think is a little better looking than you, can you, can you come to a place where you actually believe that you're attractive enough, that you're worthy? Can you actually believe that? And, and if you can't, then I encourage you, there is an invitation to step into that to realise that you are enough that you are enough. One of the, it's one of the biggest tipping points of your life. And, uh, and when you can stand beside someone who has more of what you value and say and believe in your heart that you are enough, your life will change. It is one of the biggest questions and one of the biggest tipping points because until you believe you're enough, you won't be enough. Until you believe you're enough, you won't be enough. And I know like theologically, we are enough. But if you don't believe you're enough, you're certainly not going to live that out. You're certainly not going to live that out. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, as a, as a man, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. As a person thinks in, thinks in their heart, your heart, that's like the personal place. That's the place where like only you visit unless, some, unless you invite someone else in there. It's the place where, where by the time we've had our 456 hit of dopamine on our phone and we finally switch it to airplane mode at the end of the night and we're alone, that's, that's where our heart is. When there's no one else around, when there's no performance, we're, we're at that place and as you think in that moment, that's who you'll be. And, and even if you are enough, 100% through the gospel, through Jesus' word in your life, if you don't believe it, you won't see it. You won't see it. Until you come to the point where you believe that you're enough, you won't be enough. And, and if, if you don't think you're enough, if you're a woman here and you don't think you're enough for a man of God, or if you're a guy and you don't think you're enough for a woman of God, you're never going to marry one. You're going to lower your standards. And if you do marry one, they're never going to get your heart because you're not going to show it to them because you don't think you're enough. You may find yourself in a marriage, but you're just going to be a single person with a ring on because you're never going to be able to give all of yourself until you realize you're enough for them. It's one of the biggest tipping points because until you believe you're enough, you never will be. But I release the word over you that you are enough. But you won't walk that out until you believe it. In the midst of all the insane miracles and moments that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a part of, the angels that he saw, the encounters of God that he had, the people he saw healed. In the midst of all that journey he went through, he decided to write that we should desire the gift of prophecy above everything else, that we should desire that. And I believe why he, he, the revelation he saw, why we should desire the gift of prophecy is because the gift of prophecy goes directly against that number one lie that we struggle with. Prophecy is summed up in this, you are enough. Prophecy is summed up in this, you are enough. And um, I remember uh, I was speaking at a life group in Rangiora and uh, there was, uh, we were going to have an activation time at the end where we were going to put a couple people in the, mon- in the middle and everyone was just going to um, prophesy to them and encourage them and share words with them what they felt like God was saying about them. And I said, um, who here feels like you, you couldn't give a word, like it's, like you just don't really feel confident to do that, to, to encourage someone and prophesy over someone. And this one girl put her hand up and I said, great, you can come in the middle. And she was like, what, why? 
And I was like, because you often become what you experience. And, and as I share tonight, I'm sharing about a culture. I'm sharing about a prophetic culture that is grounded in encouragement, that if there's not encouragement going with the prophetic word, it's not a prophetic word. It's just feedback and just be real about that. If you're giving someone a word like a, like a bit of feedback, don't call it prophecy. If you're, if you're confronting someone, don't call it prophecy. Call it what it is. But when you're prophesying over people, you cannot divorce encouragement from it. So the Apostle Paul said to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. And he goes on to describe what prophecy looks like. And this is the, the I believe, a definitive explanation of what prophecy looks like. It says two verses later in verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouragement and their comfort. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. That's what prophecy looks like. There's, I know there's a lot of other factors, but there's a foundation upon which the prophecy, the prophetic, is released. It releases strength in moments of weakness. It releases encouragement in moments of discouragement, and it brings comfort in moments of pain. That is the definitive explanation of what prophecy looks like and the foundation upon which we prophesy, upon which we release words of knowledge, upon which we, we, we release words. They are based on strengthening encouragement and comfort. There are a lot more aspects to the prophetic than just encouragement. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, but encouragement is the foundation or the field in which the prophetic is played. It's not the easiest thing to encourage people. It's not the easiest thing to encourage people, especially people we do life with, especially people we see every single day. It's not the easiest thing to encourage people because it requires humility to encourage people, humility to get over who we are and wisdom to get into the world they live in. It takes humility to get over you are and wisdom to get into their world and actually understand that your words can shift their life. Your words can shift their life. Hands up if someone's words affected your life in this room. Hands up if you know your words can affect someone else's life. Hands up if you walk that out every day. It's a journey. It's a journey because it's hard. It's hard to live a life where you're you actually encouraging people every day because some days we're not encouraged. It's not easy because it takes humility to get over yourself and wisdom to step into another person's world. When I went to South Africa uh, for a mission trip, I was there for about 10 days, and before we left, our team leader said to us, he said, hey, uh, one thing I love you guys to do is to make sure the person beside you has the best trip they've ever had before. And we went on this trip, and it was life-changing. It was just absolutely incredible. Uh, we did up to three or four services a day, evangelism, other things. It was just really crazy, really awesome, um, a real privilege. Had lots of opportunities to preach, to pray for people, to see miracles. Uh, but some people saw miracles. Some people didn't. Some people got to preach full sermons. Some people didn't. And at the end of our trip, we were standing on some hill in uh, Cape Town, looking over the city, and we were just talking as a team. And our leader said, you know what, one thing that was really amazing about this trip, he said, I didn't see one, one shred of competitiveness from either anyone here. Whenever someone got more favour shown to them in the moment, they were celebrated. I never saw someone get upset or try to pull someone down or compete. I saw everyone celebrate and encourage one another as they stepped out, as they were called out. And it really like hit me in that moment, like, wow, you know, like 11, 11 days is a long time. 
to not really compare yourself with someone or just like in every instance, in every instance where someone had more of something or less of something, they were still celebrated. And, and for me, that's what, that's what it looks like. And, and it was 11 days, but to live a lifestyle of that's another thing. But I encourage you when you go away on a holiday with friends or family, try it. Try and make it your focus to ensure the person beside you has the best time. Try and encourage them in their journey. It's going to be hard, especially if they don't encourage you back. But the calling on your life still doesn't change regardless of their answer to their calling. When you encourage someone, you shift the environment. When you encourage someone, you shift the environment. You shift the environment long enough, you create a culture. And when you create a culture, the culture begins to create what's happening around you. And uh, I spent a few years in America at a school uh, which very much had a culture uh, that was saturated in the prophetic that was directly attached to encouragement. And, And it changed my life. But they also had a primary school that this church ran. And it ran this primary school which taught uh, primary and intermediate, sorry. And uh, it was very much run on the same model as the school was run on. And the kids in the, the, in the primary school, they would be prophesied over by their teachers and their other classmates and they'd record and write down the prophecies. And at the end of each year, they would hand on this file. The teacher would hand on this file to the teacher who taught these kids in the next year, which had all the prophetic words, all the things that were called out over this kid's life. And they did this year after year after year until they graduated at the end of intermediate and they had this portfolio of who God was calling them to be. So it was very much a culture in which they were saturated and the prophetic and encouragement. And I had a, a really special couple of friends. They were married um, and had three kids. And one of their kids, their middle, he was going to the intermediate school there. And uh, he really wanted to play basketball. He was about uh, 11 or 12 at the time. And he really wanted to play basketball. And over in America, basketball is like, is like, it's like in New Zealand if we had three rugbies, like basketball, football, and baseball, all massive on their own. And he really wanted to play basketball, and it's a massive deal over there. But he wasn't that good, and so he, he trained for a little bit and went to the tryouts at the beginning of the year, and he didn't make the team. And he said to the coach, hey, I'd really love to just train with you guys and get better. Can I come along to the trainings? And the coach said to him, yep, you can come along to the trainings. And he gave him sort of a, like a managerial role and he ran some tasks and chores at the games and at the trainings, but he got to train too. And so it came to towards the end of the season, there was only a few games left and the coach asked him if he'd like to play in this game. And he said yes, and it came to the game time. And then when the coach asked him, hey, you ready to come on the, field, on the, on the court? Um, it's your time to play. Uh, he, he just started to break down. The moment was just too much for him. You've got to understand, like, he was told, like, as a basketball player, you're not good enough for this team. But courageously, he said, no, I still want to hang around you guys. I want to get better, even though I'm the worst at this. And he did, and he got better. So he's still coming from this place where he's definitely not the best person in the team. And he's really, he's really nervous, and he just, he just breaks down, and he just cries. And, you know, this is a moment where I just think if this happened in any other school, you know, like you would have just been destroyed. You just would have been destroyed. Maybe, maybe not to your face if you're lucky, but definitely behind your back. You would have been picked apart. But in this moment, I'm not sure if the game was playing. I'm pretty sure it was a timeout. The team took some time and they surrounded him and they just prayed for him. And in a moment where he was asking the biggest question in his life, am I enough? His team got around him. The culture that they were in got around him and spoke words of life into him in that moment. 
he didn't take the court that day, but he did. He did one of the following weeks, and then it came to graduation. And uh, my friend was telling me she was like, she's South African. She married an Englishman. She was like, Josh, man, you're these Americans. They're insane. The trophies they were like over a meter tall for these intermediate kids, and uh, they're getting MVP and Player of the Year and all this stuff. And then uh, they gave uh, her son an award. And I can't remember exactly what the award was for. But she said, like, we were both just crying. And she's telling me. And she was just like, you should have heard that room. She was like, it was the loudest applause of the night when he went up for that award. And just the amount of people I've seen who have accepted the identities that have been spoken over them that are not the call of God on life. They've accepted discouraging words over them that you are not enough, that you are not good enough, that you are not good looking enough. And they've accepted them and they actually live their lives accommodating them. And some people actually try to say the discouraging word before it's spoken to them in order to protect them. And it breaks my heart when I see that. When I see people tell me, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm ugly. I know I'm ugly. And they're like, okay with it. Like, I'm like, I know that that took a while to get in there. Like, that was broken in there. But I want to tell you that, that we have access to a culture that can transform that. That what would it look like if, if you went, like, you're not going to go through life and it's going to be easy. Like, this, I'm not going to say that. Like, we can have a prophetic culture. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy. But what would it look like if every time you hit a hard patch, every time you hit a moment where you had a question in your heart, where you're like, am I enough? There was someone beside you to say you are. There was someone beside you to prophesy over you, to encourage you, to speak words of life into you when you're questioning whether you have life, whether you're going to be enough. What would your life look like? What would this church look like if every moment we recognised someone was questioning a moment in their life that we were willing to speak life into them, that it became such a culture that it almost became second nature. It was such a culture at this place. I remember I realised this is definitely a culture when I was washing my hands in the mirror and in the mirror, the urinal's behind me and two guys peeing and one guy goes, hey man, I just really feel like I see this calling on your life and starts prophesying over him. You know it's part of the culture when it's, when it's comfortable in the toilet. You know, we, we, and we get, we get a really safe opportunity to practice it here. And we're really on a Sunday and we really encourage it. We really push for it. And we really try to create opportunities. And, we, and, we, and generally, most people here are really nice, you know. But we get to practice here. We get to, we get to grow in the gift here. But we also leave here. And it's really important that we actually take this out into our workplace. And what would it look like for you to not only practice maybe once a week to actually encourage someone here on a Sunday, to intentionally take a moment where you encourage someone, where you actually speak truth and life into them, just once a week. And then what would it look like to take it outside of here to your family? What would it look like to take it into your workplace? Actually, look, look, look to take moments, hold moments where with a work colleague who's maybe not a Christian, doesn't know the Lord, be like, hey, I just really feel like um, you're really awesome at this. And the way you did this and this and this, and you just begin encouraging them. And encouragement is the field in which the prophetic is played. And when you're encouraging someone, you would be surprised at the amount of words that God can give you in that moment. Because when you love someone, God can trust you with the secrets of their heart and the desires of their dreams. What would that look like for you?